Shart International presents Fresh Talk, conversations about creativity in the 21st century. I'm Kathy Bird, Fresh Art producer. This week, I'm thrilled to present our premiere of Fresh Talk Uncut. In February 2013, I recorded this conversation with artist Trenton Doyle Hancock in his Houston, Texas studio. Trenton talks to me about the mythology he created to filter his art making and about the personal histories beneath his work. All right, I'm Kathy Bird, and today I'm in Houston in the studio of artist Trenton Doyle Hancock. Trenton was born in Oklahoma City, but he grew up in Paris, Texas, and now lives and works in Houston. He earned his MFA at Tyler School of Art at Temple in Philadelphia, and he's been working in the style of collage, drawing, painting ever since. He was one of the youngest to be selected for the Whitney Biennial in the 2002, 2000? 2000 and 2002. Yeah. And then you were one of the artists featured in the first Art 21 series, which I thought was pretty cool. So you've You've had recognition early on for your intensity, if nothing, (laughs) of your work. And I was thinking about um, it's important maybe to introduce the main characters in your series. And they still figure in your series or have since what year? The the Mounds and the Vegans. Since around 2000. Yeah, there. Um, the mound is sort of the central character in the mythology that I that I created, um, and then the mound has his protector, who's Torpedo Boy, who's actually a character I made up when I was um, in the I think the fourth grade. So I've been working on him since that, and um, then there are the vegans who are the um, aggressors, and they try to kill these mound creatures Um, and um, then there's gods and deities and other characters um, but basically uh, I made up and uh, all those characters just to give me something to paint like really what I just wanted to do was be in the studio and make stuff but I felt like I had to go through some filter something to get to it because making is way too easy for me and if I you know like something is something about just maybe back then the pure just act of making something wasn't enough and there was this other stuff that I wanted to to deal with um, and that filter maybe is made up of parts of the self so as in going through the filters like I'm analyzing like playing my own psychoanalyst uh, as I'm making the paintings and analyzing my own past and um, trying to create some template maybe for the future or uh, possibilities for future projects um, through that filter. And um, after a while, the filter kind of broke down. And I think that's where I am now. The characters are still there and they still do figure into what I do, but they're... Um, They're gonna rear their. They're gonna come forward in a different way now. Mm -hmm. I think. 
that's the turning point I want to talk about while we're okay, you know, yeah. having our conversation. But I was saying, I was seeing reference to Henry Darger and the Bible, mythology, and abstract expressionism. Just mm. all of those influence. Right. Well, I feel like even outside those those things, I'm influenced by everything, and that becomes a problem for me because I, how do you express everything, you know, in your studio? There's the, there's kind of no way. Uh, you know, minimalists do it by. I think they're also a lot of times interested in everything and they kind of boil everything down into an essence and then just work with that essence. And I think I'm trying to do that, but I'm more of maybe a maximalist. So like I see how many things I can use and that maybe the sum total of those things makes this really uh, unified idea maybe at the end of the, at the, end of the day. But, um, yeah, characters like Henry Darger are really interesting in the sense that they he just did what he wanted to do. And he made this world, uh, this painted world, all for himself. Um, it was a way for him to maybe understand or deal with the things that were going on um, in his daily you know, life. And art, so his art had, I, I feel like it had an... Uh, equalizing function in his life, and I think that's an, that's an amazing thing. It just so happens it was like what, the, the longest book ever written and the most profusely illustrated book ever written, uh, ever illustrated. Uh, so he was a very intense character. Uh, you have your own handbook. I do, yeah, <laughs> but it's I, more like a dictionary of. It, Characters. It's, an, it's, it's definitely an encyclopedia of, of characters, and I was. Um, I want. It's based on the Marvel comics, so mm -hmm. they have their Marvel Universe books. And I remember as a kid, not only did I love just looking at the encyclopedia, uh, especially the painting, the P or the S for snakes, or the D for dinosaurs. Like I would just thumb through, and it was really fun to see all of these characters itemized. So I'd like to see snakes like put in their phylum or categories like here are the non-poisonous, here are the poisonous. And you know, in a way, the same thing for painters, like here are the non-poisonous and here are the poisonous ones. But it was a cool thing to see all of it uh, like uh, abstract expressionism, photorealism, all of it, there was no hierarchy. They just and here's this painter, here's this painter. So as a kid, I'm looking at it going, okay, they're all painters, and this all is part, it falls under that umbrella. I can't really say I like this more than this because the encyclopedia said that they're all the same. And the same with the Marvel Universe. It was, you know, they have the good guys, the bad guys, and you're reading through it and going, man, they're all so interesting. A lot of times the bad characters were more interesting than the good characters. And as the venomous snakes to me were so much more interesting looking than the, than the non-poisonous snakes. Anyway, I don't know how we got the snakes, but yeah. Encyclopedia. The encyclopedia. So yes, I, I, I decided to create my own encyclopedia, partly as a way to just um, um, 
figure out what I had, like ideas laying around, things that, like, how can I bring this idea into the, this narrative that I've created? Mm -hmm. um, an idea that may be quite abstract. How do I maybe personify that or make it into a humanoid kind of a character and express it that way in this kind of absurd way where I give it a history and uh, its strength potential and all this stuff. So I don't know. It was just sort like a, a yeah. fantasy game. Yeah, it was almost like a role, role, book. role, role, playing, role playing book. Role book. Yeah. And did that handbook lead to that? the ballet project in a way because it allowed because you separated these characters out of this intense mixture that you create on canvas you've given them each a separate persona in a way that allowed them to become 3D um, maybe I can't remember the timeline so, uh, I yeah. think I was starting on that book around the same time as I was approached okay. to do the ballet mm -hmm. but um, I think I was approached to do the ballet in 2004 and I kind of questioned whether I was ready to jump into something like that but at the same time I knew I was ready to move kind of beyond the four walls of the uh, gallery like I wanted to do something that was kind of experimental and a bit risky and it just it just fell into my lap really mm -hmm. because um, luckily Stephen Mills who's the head choreographer Ballet Austin he was also ready to do that I think he was like I want to do something that's going to take me out of my comfort zone so we really met in this place of experimentation and um, and but most most importantly a place of respect like it was important that I respected what he did and I think vice versa and so I think our union uh, and Graham Reynolds also came in as a third part of that collaborative uh, effort and uh, we all worked really well together and I think we made a really interesting piece. Has it been shown or performed outside Austin? No it hasn't and uh, but it will be re-performed um, uh, in late March. Or right April. I saw that when I was nosing around about you yeah. <laughs> online and I saw it was coming back to uh, Austin yeah. it, and I watched some clips and it looked fantastic Ooh, thanks it, it was received well in Austin it was and um, but it's interesting there was three different audiences there was the ballet audience there was mm -hmm. the art audience and then there were the music people that came just to hear Graham and then the, you know the people that were savvy in ballet and dance and movement they were looking at the, that, that part of it. And, and then, of course, the art people came to, because I was part of it. And so it was weird to see all these audiences kind of come together. Like, I really, I don't think, it, it, I hadn't anticipated that. I knew I was ready for that kind of cross-disciplinary activity, but it was weird to think, oh yeah, behind us are these like hordes of people that come to see us and they're supporting us but not necessarily all of us as a unit. So I think it was a learning experience for not only us, but our audiences. Mm -hmm. And so they're anticipating, it's much anticipated that it's coming back? Yeah, oh yeah. Because a lot of people didn't get to see it the first time. Maybe they just didn't hear, heard about it too late or uh, whatever. But And then, of course, over the years, it's gained a reputation just, you know, it's like, oh, because it's mentioned alongside our other projects. And people get curious. 
You're like, oh, when is it being performed again? And I'm like, I don't really know. But now I've been putting it in people's ears, and there's been there's kind of a um, a swelling of, of interest. So we'll see. I'm lucky. I'm in Austin right now. I definitely want to see it. Thanks. The dilemmas that you deal with in your paintings, the moral dilemmas I've seen described reading different people writing about your work that mm -hmm. kept coming up, male anxiety and artistic anxiety as figuring largely in the, right. in the work. I like that. I mean, when I read your question, like male anxiety, I don't think I've heard it put quite like that. So um, could you maybe, yeah, what, what do you think of, from what you've seen, can you point out any male anxious? Oh, I actually, do you remember the writing that Felicia Feaster did about when you, uh, maybe you don't end up getting reading the things that are written, but you had a show at SCAD in Atlanta. Okay, right. And a writer with burnaway.org, it's an online magazine. Mm -hmm. She was... She was describing, she's a really good writer, and she was describing all these different scenarios that she was seeing in your paintings. Okay, yeah. And she pulled that out. And I have not seen that show, so <laughs> I just thought it was funny. Um, Artistic anxiety? I mean, I would say, yeah, there's a lot of, I think there's an emphasis on failure in my work. And like, I think without failure, you can't have any real achievement. Our growth, so I do express that somehow within the maybe the story arcs or the the character something within that character that's a kind of a fatal flaw uh, or a fatal flaw even within the material that I use and how that material is is placed down next to something else that alludes to um, this thing wins over this or this is a, an extremely pathetic ratio here of paint to canvas or or something so that i think i've internalized this idea of um it's almost like the the self-deprecating comedian like even within how i put the paint down i want there to be something expressed as human uh, and to me being human means being vulnerable and being uh, i guess somewhat fallible or something mm -hmm. so yeah i can think those Male anxiety probably falls under the umbrella of that, but uh, I guess I could get more specific about that, but maybe not right now. <laughs> <laughs> Your sense of language and color has been described as musical, but uh, as I said, for me, I didn't know you as a performance artist, mm -hmm. but last night you sang at the Contemporary Arts Museum mm -hmm. here in Houston. Tell me about what made you want to sing. Um, well, <clears throat> I mean, I've sang all my life. I grew up, you know, in the church. My father was a minister and mother was the choir director. So in my whole family, uh, the, like my cousins and immediate uncles and aunts and stuff are pro professional gospel musicians um, in and around the Dallas area. So music has always been part of my life, but it's always been somewhat separate from my art life. And I've, I'm, like, I'm so adamant about absorbing and bringing all of this other stuff into the paintings, but that's one thing that's been curiously left out. Mm -hmm. So, but performance, um, 
or in it, uh, acting out these kind of poetic and meaningful gestures has always, I think, been part of my practice too. Because to me, acting out or um, role-playing or becoming my characters uh, is a way for me to believe in the characters that I'm painting or inventing. And um, I guess it's like method acting in a way. It's like it totally immerse yourself in this in that world, be the thing, and then you can, without any guilt, express the idea through paint or promote it. You can use the painting as a promotion for this larger idea because it's you. And um, so performance has been a big part, but even within the performance, music has been left out of that. So I just, I felt like it was time uh, and I was given this opportunity at the Contemporary Arts Museum to uh, restage this performance from 15 years ago. And I thought, well, I don't want to do it the same way I did it then because it doesn't, I've grown and I, there's just no reason I would do that. It would feel empty. So it, the, the performance had to grow. And I think in that growth, there was something, a risk I had to take. It's like, well, you got to get up there and do this thing that in church, when I sang, there was no risk, you know, it's like everyone's, it's a loving environment, everyone else is singing, and it's for this greater cause, and, but it's like, well, what is that going to mean when I transfer that over to this new setting? And so I, I still haven't answered that question yet for myself, so I can't answer it yet, but, um, yeah, it, and it's very new. I mean, this happened last night, so it's... Uh, but even while I was up there, I was thinking of the possibilities for future performances. Like, I'm still in the mask, I'm still, you know, jello's still rolling down my face, and I'm like, what? How can I do this again and add something new to it and for a different audience? Mm -hmm. so. Why jello? Um, the jello for me was a stand-in for absurdity, maybe, and the kinds of ready-made colors that I was interested in, like these commercial colors. Uh, and so back in the day, I know why I chose Jell-O. I mean, it was an edible version of the paint that I was using. It was an edible version of the plastic tops that I was using. So uh, it really it made sense to ingest that material. I see. This last solo that you had in New York at James Cohan Gallery, mm -hmm. and then it all came back to me. Right. Is this a, was that show something different for you? Was it that show, representing something, mm -hmm. a shift for you? Yeah, that show definitely was uh, a turning of a corner, I would say, because... I'd say the transition from my narrative, people call it the super narrative or whatever, but it's like, from that, I went to, I wanted to explore more personal ideas, things that were, sometimes I felt like I was hiding behind these characters, like the mound is out here, the vegans are out here, and I'm way back here, kind of, with, in this protected place, which is, you know, partly by design and it's something I needed for a while. But then 
I think I wanted the vulnerability. I wanted the accountability. So to step in front, it's like the Mao's and vegans never disappeared. It's just my place as the artist in relation to them just shifted. So now I'm out in front of them. And so it all came back to me. And then it expresses this idea of memory. And then it all came back to me. You know, like, oh, I remember a time when there weren't mounds and vegans and I just made art. So let me get back to that place. And so... So um, how is that manifested visually in the paintings that you made? Um, well, there's a lot more self-portraiture. Yeah, that work, that show that you mentioned had a lot of, you know, sometimes if they weren't even... If I held up a mirror, like someone would say, oh, I didn't look like you, but it felt like me. It's like I knew that when I relate to the image, I know it's me, you know what I mean? And sometimes it did look just like the glasses and the hair, facial hair and everything. Uh, but there was just something that I wanted to be closer to the skin. And I think that is expressed in probably each one of those works. And do you think that show is somewhat what led to you getting the Greenfield Prize? Hmm. That's hard to say, because I wasn't on the committee. Right, um, it just said, uh, I mean, the description of the prize is it's designated for artists whose work is undergoing significant changes. Well, then yes. Then, yeah, <laughs> that, that, so that's, that's the criteria. Then yeah, and I did, in my proposal, it was all about me focusing on this character that kind of was the symbol of my transformation, who was this sort of hybrid between myself and the Mound characters. He's like oddly, uh, he's neither good nor bad. I don't know what he is, I don't know why he exists, but he kind of has this foreboding quality to him uh, called The Bring Back. And I want to do um, a short film or something experimental dealing with 4D or with time. Um, with the residency? With the residency, mm -hmm. yeah. So they've given me two years. And That's a gift. Yes, it's definitely a gift to be able to think through. They've given me, of course, the, the means to, to do so, the space to do so. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. Here's Trenton performing devotion at the Museum of Contemporary Arts in Houston. just heard Fresh Talk Uncut with Trenton Doyle Hancock. In this episode, we're sharing an unedited conversation that I recorded in Houston, Texas on February 2nd, 2013. Thank you for listening.
More Fresh Talk is waiting for you on freshartinternational.com.